Infirmary Media. MyBookie.ag slash Sportsbook is the go-to destination for sports betting. As America's most trusted sportsbook, MyBookie is simply the most accurate source for odds information, analysis, and wagering opportunities on the Internet. Take your bets beyond the sports world with entertainment bets like the next James Bond, the next Green Lantern, and more. So what are you waiting for? Open your account today with MyBookie Sportsbook and start winning with the best the industry has to offer. Just visit mybookie.ag slash sportsbook now. Start. Poop culture. Yeah, yeah, poop culture. Poop, 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 poop culture. Yeah, the poop culture. Poop, poop culture. People engage in stop for dueling decades. The Matrix and Blade versus Bloodsport and Renegade. Strap on that cap, bust out the power glove. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Poop culture popping pins, dropping hand grenades. Van Halen locked in Mortal Kombat with David Gray. Found out ballet in sick. I am made of GNR. Come fight for what you love. Dueling decades. Broadcasting live on digital delay from the Bio Bidet Studios, where water does it better. Welcome back, Retro Renegades, to another episode of Dueling Decades. I am Mark James, and with us, as always, are the two lewd, crude, throwback dudes. First, the man who told those kids to dump a red slush on Anthony Michael Hall's head. It's Rick Mancrush, and he may not always wear a bra on his head, but boy, when he does, it's bodacious. Welcome, Bo B. Craft. We could not think of a better way to kick off this new addition to the Dueling Decades franchise than to bring in a real champion of the 80s and the 90s. This gentleman was the first person to reach the kill screen of Donkey Kong, and in 1999, he was proclaimed the video game player of the century. He was also selected as one of the 10 most influential gamers of all time, a multi-time record holder and record breaker, renowned the world over. Please welcome the legendary Billy Mitchell to the program. Thank you very much. I appreciate it very much. I appreciate the introduction. It was... It was uh, mostly true. The uh, the gentleman thing threw me for a loop, but other than that, I think you got it real close. <laughs> Great. The one the one thing that comes up all the time, and I see it come up in different places, and you know, it's one person says that uh, this person gave it to you, the other one says MTV gave it to you. Where did the moniker "Video Game Player of the Century" actually come from? Uh, video Game Player of the Century. I was in Japan at the Tokyo Game Show. I was flown there by Masaya Nakamura. It was uh, September of 1999. Uh, he is considered, he passed away a couple years ago, he's considered the godfather of video games. He was the founder and CEO of Namco. Uh, his influence in the industry stretched far beyond that, of course. Uh, he was uh, probably the person who was instrumental in creating uh, JAMA, Japanese Amusement Machine Manufacturing Association, which is basically the association of video game designers, uh, manufacturers, anything and everything that's in Japan that is video games. And they're on stage at the Tokyo Game Show uh, with a list of accolades that went back to as far as 1982, recently as the perfect Pac-Man in July of 99. Uh, he crowned me the video game player of the century. It was... Uh, it was ridiculously flattering that he did that. And the fact of the matter is, it was his prediction that 
the perfect score on Pac-Man, which through the grace of God just ran around the world and got a ridiculous amount of attention, more than I could have ever imagined. For he sure. said that that would cause a rebirth in classic gaming, a resurgence in interest. And it was, it was described very much like the way you have a car. And after a few years, a car just becomes a car. But after 20 years, there's a renewed interest. A car becomes a classic, and it's sought after again by the public. That's what he said would happen with classic gaming, and sure enough, he was correct. Absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah, big time. And Billy, uh, again, thanks for coming on and agreeing to be on the show, You know, discuss games and your illustrious gaming career. We really do appreciate that. That said, you are on Poop Culture, and there are some questions that need to be answered, and obviously you're a champion. And you put long amounts of time into crushing a game like Donkey Kong. Let's just say you're 2,000 points away from breaking the world record. But you got to piss really bad. What do you do? Hmm. Well, the power that gets you so good at a video game is mind over matter. And when you really, really got to go, you'd be shocked at how good you are at mind over matter. <laughs> <laughs> has, has that ever happened to you? Did that ever occur where you were that close and you're like, oh, God, not now? Well, it's funny because I've said recently that the fact of the matter is when you got to go and you're in the middle of the game, it may even work to your advantage because you're so antsy and you're so in tune to your body's needs that you pay better attention and there's no chance of you relaxing or yeah yeah like if you're tired maybe it helps wake you up yeah everything is running through your body and you're you're on point what's the longest you ever stood at a cabinet um in october of 1982 knowing that life magazine was imminent a month away and not wanting to be outdone by anybody um a charity called Toys for Tots is put on by the U.S. Marines, maybe all over, right. but certainly in South Florida. I gained some sponsors and people who sponsored me for how many hours I could play Centipede. I played 47 hours on a single quarter, Oof. and I got 25 million points. Unbelievable. It's insane. So, okay, you had to go to the okay. bathroom at some point during 47 hours. Well, <laughs> well, yes, you have to go to the bathroom, but first of all, you're a lot better when you're 17 at taking care of yourself and you're, you can go a lot faster at 17 than you can at, you know, 47. <laughs> True and the that. fact of the matter is <laughs> you build up, you build up the men you need. You have a full rack of men and you run like a banshee to the bathroom. It's <laughs> not far away. And oh, then you man. run back clean hands, not clean hands. It really doesn't matter. <laughs> and you get back to your game and you still have some men left and then you begin to build your men again. So that that's exactly amazing. what happens to those guys who play many, many hours. I guess the, the longest number of verified hours, a guy played 83 hours. He played Cubert. Wow. That's ridiculous. I can't do anything for 83 hours. So that's just amazing. It's mind over matter right there. But seriously, though. You're known for a lot of things. Donkey Kong, Pac-Man, Miss Pac-Man, Burger Times, and Centipede, like you just said. But you're also known for having this lion's mane, dude. You're like the brunette version of Daryl Hall, man. Like, what's the deal with the magnificent hair? When did that start? Well, first of all, I appreciate the fact that you noticed. We'll start there. <laughs> and remember, I can't see you, so I'm going to go out on a limb here. But 
when I do panel discussions, when I talk to people, when I have a question that comes from a guy or from the wife of a guy, it's usually a guy who's follically challenged. And I don't know if I don't know if that fits you at all. Yeah, it doesn't. My hair's pretty long. Not as not as nice as yours, but it's pretty long. Um, the truth is, I actually didn't start growing my hair until I was like 30. I was not a rebellious teenager or anything, and I don't really have a reason why I did. But when I did, I started getting comments on it, and I mean, people. Some people tease me. Some people praise me, but kind of like everybody knew me. And I promised myself that when I reached 40 years old, I was going to get a real haircut. And um, I lied. <laughs> um, I lied. I, um, I knew the situation is completely out of hand. When I go to the airport one time and I go up to the TSA and I didn't have my license where I would normally have it, I had my ticket. And the TSA guy took my ticket and he said, hey, Billy, how you doing? And I looked at him. I go, you know me? He goes, oh, he goes, I know you well. He goes, I recognize you. And I thought, I don't want to have to carry ID, so I'm not going to get a haircut. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's pretty awesome. You can go pretty much anywhere, like as far as video games go, at least. And everyone can probably pick you out of a crowd. No problem. They know that that's Billy Mitchell. So that makes sense. Yeah, yeah to be honest, it, it, happen it happens to me every every single day it doesn't happen six days a week it happens every single day and no i don't get tired of it and i promised myself that i would never ever ever unappreciate it i've never ever said no to a photograph a selfie an autograph a question a hi a hello a handshake because i never wanted to be that guy that hollywood guy i always wanted to you know be myself and maintain them personality and fun that I've always had. So I've so far I've been able to do that. And so no, I actually don't get tired of it. I, I have fun with it every time. That's awesome, man. Cause I, I was, I was going to ask you this, you know, when people see Billy Mitchell, the King of Kong, you know, are they seeing the real deal Billy Mitchell or is it just a character that you played? Is it just a KFAB? But it really sounds like there are two different people that you see playing the game and then you seem like a real stand-up guy on the side. Is that kind of how it is? Well, yes. To be honest, I throughout my life, I, I mean, I was always at the park. I volunteered. I coached. Um, you know, I I was the parent who drove my kids to and from school. I dropped them off. I picked them up. Um, when you're the father, you're dropping your kid off, and he's in first grade. The teacher grabs you because you're the guy and gives you the knife and says you got to carve the pumpkins. And so I had a very normal, even flattering, normal life. Um, the fun and humor and sarcasm that I have, that is really a part of me. I, I don't have like a serious nature to me. Everything is achievable. Everything you can overcome. Everything is fun. But in all actuality, when I play the part of me, I just take it and I just push it to the extreme um we'll walk into the hotel here that we are and i i'll say to triforce i'll say go up to the counter tell him you need the um wi-fi and just tell him you know billy mitchell and they'll take care of it <laughs> and so he walks up to the counter and he says hi i'm triforce billy mitchell sent me and i'm supposed to set up internet she goes oh no problem and she sets it up <laughs> well the truth is i set him up with the call i called ahead of time 
and I made arrangements with him. I don't, tell, I don't tell him that. I just let him think that he's in an inferior position to me. Oh, I'm going to try that next time my wife and I go on vacation. Yeah, it's easy to just push it to the extreme. And, you know, that's but the truth is I, you know, I don't have an unkind nature at all. And um, not at all. And I enjoy shocking people. I enjoy meeting people who are walk up and they go, oh, excuse me, uh, I don't want to bother you. And I say, what do you think I'm here for? I say, <laughs> I get paid for every person that comes up and wants their picture taken with me. And you don't want to take a picture. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, no, no, no. That's not what I'm saying. I go, then get over here and take a picture. So, yes, I, I have a lot of fun doing that. I do. <laughs> oh, that's great. You mentioned your kids. Do they have the same affinity and the same uh, expertise in the, the realm of video gaming that, that their father has? Well, my daughters would play for a little while, get bored, and run off and do something else. Um, my son, absolute extreme, um, extreme player, extremely, um, it's to say it occupied his time is an understatement. But he worked hard. He worked ridiculously hard in sports. He was offered many, many scholarships. Of course, he chose one. And there were so many times that I was going to take video games away from him. I mean, through high school, there was times when I would wake up after midnight, 2 and 3 and 4 in the morning, and I'd find him playing. And there were so many times I was so angry and I was going to take it. And I never did because... He always had one over on me. He had a 4.9 grade point average. Wow. I just, awesome. well, what was I going to do? Tell him he's doing something wrong? And <laughs> Exactly. Why is it not a 5.0? Yeah, I, I never did take it. And at times I thought I should have. And I guess I'm glad I didn't because he's in a place and an opportunity and a, in a world that I, I would have never imagined myself in or even that I could help him get to. So, um, and if you can imagine... I certainly never had the maturity that he had when he left, when he was leaving, he said, dad, he said, when I go, he said, I can't bring these with me. He said, I, I have to leave them here. And he left them at home as much of a passion or obsession he had for them. He recognized, you know, reality and he couldn't take that passion or that whatever you want to call it with him to college. He had to, he had to leave it home and move on to the next phase. That's still cool. He's he's moving on to something bigger and better. Yeah. yeah however, when he when he comes home, when he comes home, then he's, he's visiting. He, I, I hardly ever see him. He just plays games twenty four hours. So <laughs> I guess it still hits him a little bit. It's in the blood. <laughs> what does he play for games? Surely not the same games that you enjoy. Oh no! Now he recently started playing Donkey Kong, but if we put that aside, um, hardcore, hardcore Xbox. Um, plays Fortnite. Yeah, he'll, he'll play Fortnite. Um, but I mean, whatever everybody was obsessed with at the time, whether it was Call of Duty or or um, Counter Strike or anything, he, that's what he would play. And um, he played online, and he's upstairs, and he's in his room, and things go right, and he's laughing. He's laughing so loud I can hear him downstairs. Yep. Things go wrong, and he's dropping all kinds of bombs, waking the house up. <laughs> um, so it was it was one extreme to another. I have no idea where he where he gained that passion, but he got it. Well, just moving on to the game stuff, uh, real quick. You know, as you may know, dueling decades we focus on the uh, 1980s and 1990s. But you've been gaming since the 70s, and we've heard you discuss this before. 
you know, you're, you have a pinball player background from the 70s. However, what we want takes back to 1980. Billy walks into the arcade. You look left and you look right. What do you see? Well, what happened was, for example, as a kid, I was playing a pinball and it was Evil Knievel. And it was the first pinball that I, electronic pinball that I dedicated time to, not the old standard roughhouse ones. Right. And I remember playing it and playing it. And as pinball advanced and advanced and the games became different and different, I kept getting aggravated thinking, you know, why do they have to keep changing and changing? And so again, it's 1980 and there's this game or it's the late 70s going into 80 and there's this game Space Invaders. Well, I mean, it's okay. And then there's this game Asteroids and it's kind of annoying. You can hardly control the ship. And really it was all annoying because I wanted to play pinball because that's what I was good at and that's what I could beat everybody at. And I like playing what I could win at. But less and less and less competition and less attention was coming to pinball and it was all going over to video games and there's this big yellow game in the center of the arcade that everybody's standing around i don't want i just as you can tell i don't embrace change very much i tend to stick to my own ways through the years and so i walked over and i thought and all the competitions on video games and i like competition so i went over and i couldn't get to that big yellow thing in the middle of the room so I managed to get over to Donkey Kong and I started playing and playing and playing and playing and having my obsessive nature. And as I'm playing, the score is going higher and higher. And then it's higher than anybody in the arcade. Then I'm driving around to other arcades looking for high scores or for people who could play. I found myself driving all over the state. And so finally, I asked this guy, I says, um, I, I mean, I had called Nintendo. I had called the distributor. I'm trying to find out where it is they have contests, where they have high scores. What's the world record? And nobody had an answer. And I asked the guy, it was funny. I did finally get those answers. But I went to the guy at the arcade and I said to him, I go, hey, where do they have contests on this game? And he goes, contests on that game? I said, yeah. He goes, they don't have any contests on that game. And I go, why not? He goes, why would they have contests on that game? And I go, well, you have a contest on Tron. He goes, well, that's because of the movie. And I says, well, yeah, but why wouldn't you have a contest on this game? He goes, well, that game's popular, Donkey Kong. He goes, but it's not like Pac-Man. And I go, what do you mean it's not like Pac-Man? It's Donkey Kong. And he goes, yeah, Donkey Kong's popular, but nothing's like Pac-Man. So I looked at him and I go, oh, really? All right, I'll just get the world record on Pac-Man too. That'll take care of that. So that was my <laughs> introduction to Pac-Man. So people always ask me about my first interaction or encounter with video games or let's say with right. Pac-Man. And I say, actually, it was kind of hostile. You know, it really was. And um, I was annoyed that there wasn't an organization. I was worried that I was annoyed that there wasn't an organized competition. And I mean, there is for any other sport. There is for bowling. Nobody ever says, gee, let's drive down the road and go bowling. Nobody ever says that. Bowling exists because of leagues and organizations and an effort put together. So that's what I always wanted for video games. And it, since we talked about the year 2000 and Masaya Nakamura and his prediction that classic gaming would have a resurgence, 
it was at that point that I took on the position or the dominant position that I took on was to become an ambassador or an advocate for competitive gaming. And that's what's occupied the majority of my time in, in the gaming world since then, because to sit there and just simply beat and pound on a game for numbers to go a little higher and a little higher was less rewarding than actually like, putting than together or helping right. to put together organization and enthusiasm for competitive gaming because the gamers and what it takes to achieve the amount of time, tension, and everything that goes into it is equivalent to most any sport. So why not give them that right. same reward or recognition as my thought? That perfectly segues into my next question. You know, back in the 80s, video yeah, gaming you might, was... You might find it hard to believe, but I can kind of read your mind, and I know your questions that are coming, so I'm, I'm helping you out here. Okay. You know, uh, so, I'm, you know, back yeah, but, then... Yeah but, yeah, but do you know how I know that? How do you know that? Because I'm Billy Mitchell. Now keep going. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Billy. So if you know what I'm going to ask, you can perfectly answer this. You know, back then in the 80s, it was very much a social activity, going to the arcades, playing games with your friends, and then home consoles came in in the 90s. And it kind of seems like, to me at least, that it became a sport for more for loners. Now, with the rise of MMOs and online gaming in places like Twitch, like this, do you think it's once again becoming a spectator sport, only virtually? Yeah, I think it goes, it went into different phases. For example, as you said, in the 1980s, okay, video games were great. They were awesome. Go to the early 80s. They, they truly were awesome. But what made games so awesome was the arcades. You wanted to be there. I mean, any one of us can turn on a radio, okay, so we're, we're 20 years old, you can turn on a radio, and that's great, okay? Any one of us can make a drink or eat some food, and that's great, but that doesn't compare when you put those worlds together as yeah. a 20-year-old, or excuse me, 21-year-old, and you walk into the nightclub and you meet your friends. Um, it takes on a whole nother meeting. Well, games were great. But games were never really that fun when you played them in a doctor's office or in a 7-Eleven. Right. When you right. were in the arcade and you interacted with people and you could showcase, you could meet friends, you could learn with your friends, you could push forward, exactly. you could sort of create projects together. And that was awesome. And the social aspect was truly great, really, really great. The arcades were such a phenomenon in the 1980s. You can look it's very, very well documented that the movie industry and the music industry took a significant financial hit because of the attention that went into arcades, therefore away from them. And that's such an interesting thing is the aesthetics of an arcade. And you've probably been in hundreds, if not thousands of arcades across the country. So for our younger listeners who haven't had the experience of an arcade, paint the picture. The smells, the feels, you know, what were the foods, the snacks? Describe the ultimate arcade experience. Okay. For example, since you're asking me, I happen to have lived in South Florida where there was the world's largest arcade. There were over a thousand games. Um, at one point, I remember we were there when there was Pac-Man and Miss Pac-Man and Junior Pac-Man and all those derivatives of Pac-Man. There were almost a hundred of them in one arcade. I remember when Punch-Out came out, they had Punch-Outs and they were lined up and there were 13 of them lined up in a row. And when I thought, that's insane, look at that, it's 13. I came back the next day and there was 18 of them in a row. 
Jeez. You could stand at one end of the arcade and look to the far end, and it was so big you couldn't you could see, but you couldn't make out what the game at the far end of the arcade was. Well, anybody who's ever been to a concert, being in that arcade was very much like being a concert. When you walk through the arcade, you know, if you're the person who has a problem with the bumping and, and touchies, you know, then you're in the wrong place because you couldn't walk through without brushing people on all four sides and people brushing you. It was elbow to elbow. It was absolutely a fire trap. I mean, who was kidding who? Okay. <laughs> and you went through there and, and, and you know, if, if you were very uh, crude about yourself, it was definitely not the place you wanted to be. By the same token, you watched out for the pervert because they could have hands all over the place. It'd be like a concert. You wouldn't even know it. And oh, God. everybody was moving and you would get game to game. Now you're sitting there and you're playing a game and every game has sound. Every game is turned up and you could just as easily have a conversation with the person next to you as you would if you were at a rock concert. I mean, it was really loud. And you think about that. How could you ever possibly have any fun or enjoyment in that atmosphere? Yet that's where everybody wanted to be. And so the arcades were like that. Um, if somebody smelled, you knew it because they were <laughs> damn close to you. You know, if, um, if somebody spilled something, that spill got shared with many people. Again, it, it was like being at a, a concert. Now, you could be in smaller arcades, quieter atmospheres, and that's true. And supposedly, that's a better atmosphere. But for some reason, you just didn't enjoy that atmosphere as much. And you'd go back to the more hostile, or the more dirty, or the more smelly ones. Yeah. You know, um, people always say, you know, if you're, when you're in a restaurant and you're, or in your, you're in a bar and you're sitting there and you're eating at the bar and if it's kind of dirty or kind of smelly or kind of not quite right, it's probably just the place you want to be. You know? Absolutely. It's yeah. like that scene in Rocky, you know, he doesn't, Rocky doesn't train in the nicest of gyms. You know, he trains in the dirty right. and grungy gym or outside in the wilderness. You got to do that with the arcade. Yeah. You got to go back. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And and what was funny about it was you would be there and you play in such a loud, obnoxious, overwhelming atmosphere. And somehow, at least for me, you could take and create total radar lock yeah. on what you were doing. So now even today, I'll be with somebody and we'll go to a barcade and the lights are flashing because there's people dancing and lights are flashing and music blaring. And there's people everywhere. And I sit and I got total radar lock. And if we're streaming, someone will say, oh, no, this is horrible. Nobody can enjoy the stream because of the noise and all that. And I go, huh? Oh, I, di I didn't know it was a problem. <laughs> Just mute the stream because I got used to playing in that atmosphere. And um, maybe that challenge was something that was good because it made you focus harder. Maybe. Right. So that was like your home turf back then. And before we get too far away from this, I just want to rewind a little bit. Let's go back to 1982, like you mentioned before. Uh, you mentioned before, just as we started. Well, you were talking about the atmosphere of the arcades in the 80s. Yeah. And I think so, we went, when we went into the 90s and even a little past it, the atmosphere, excuse me, of video games was, yes, you sat at home and you played and you kind of played by yourself. It was the most anti-social, anti-arcade, and least enjoyable moment you could possibly have. And so maybe to answer your question as it came is, now in the world of Twitch and many other things, you sit there and you play, and you play and you stream, 
with people all over the world, you play against them. Um, maybe that's good. Maybe that's closer to the arcades in some ways than we were in the 90s. Um, in a lot of ways, it's much further away from the, than the arcades ever were. Yeah. At the end of the day, you're still sitting in your room playing with yourself and not with. <laughs> <laughs> hey, fellow poopers. Mark and the Man Crush here, and we are excited to once again be partnered with BioBidet. This time to tell you about the new Slim Zero, the world's most innovative toilet seat. Now you can redefine your bathroom experience with the ultimate bathroom upgrade, featuring an easy DIY install. Experience for yourself why water does it better. The Slim Zero toilet seat is the first non-electric toilet seat to feature a nightlight, bidet functionality, a slow closing lid, and more. Say goodbye to toilet paper and say hello to a cleaner, healthier pooper. Check out the new Slim Zero today on Indiegogo and at biobidet.com. Now you can use promo code POOPCULTURE for 10% off your order. Let's get back to a time where it was physical, where you guys were all together. And I want to go back to that 1982. The, the second time Time Magazine put out a piece in 1982 was when they invited all you guys out there. And you guys did that article and you took the picture. And it, that was just like the, the craziest time because it was so new at that time. Do you remember what led to that Times article being put together at that time? Yeah, um, at Life Magazine, what happened was I had made contact um, uh, with the scoreboard. I had made contact with Walter Day, and I had made contact, again, back then, imagine how obnoxious it sounds. I was making long-distance phone calls to talk to other players. <laughs> Probably cost you like $90. Yeah, I, I, I tell my kid, I go, yeah, somebody would call, the phone would ring in the kitchen, I somebody would answer and yell to me upstairs and I had to come down and talk to him in the kitchen. He looks at me like, why? <laughs> the last thing I want to tell you is my daughter said to me the other day, she's laughing. She goes, dad, I went to Mississippi. And I go, yeah, where her friend is. And she calls me and she goes, dad, I'm on this phone. Yeah. She goes, I pick it up and I take this thing in a circle and it goes, and she's talking about a rotary phone. And I started laughing like you. And she goes, have you ever seen one of these? <laughs> Never. <laughs> like, I don't know, like it's something newer. But anyway, so I had gotten in contact with different players and having met different people on the phone verbally. And now it was the first gathering that was coming. And to give you an idea, without lying, I'm sure paranoia is the right word. I'm getting ready to go there. And I'm paranoid to the point, gee, I think I should take this centipede game and I should put this record under my belt so I go there kind of a little more qualified actually I actually went there wondering or nervous or um, not completely confident that I was good enough or that I could fit in and so I was there and I'm there were guys from Canada and California let's see as far west as Montana Kansas. yeah there was Kansas there was Chicago there was North Carolina so we all gathered there and we would play, and when you when you would play, and somebody was watching you, suddenly you were nervous yeah. because they're watching you, and how good are they? And now they're watching you, and you'd rather watch somebody play than have them watch you. Right. And so that went on for about a day, but there was this particular guy that I had to play Donkey Kong, 
that I just knew that he wasn't as good as me. I just knew it. This was this Steve Sanders. Yeah, it was Sanders. Okay. And so what happens is, um, I mean, I couldn't have drawn a, a better pitcher. It's Saturday night. Um, it's the highlight of the weekend. The cameras of life magazine are there. There's a video crew there who's filming things just historically uh, for Walter. And there's what you consider the best video game players. And he says to me, um, I says, I mean, I had him cornered. He had to play. And so I says, well, come on, we'll play. I go, I go, actually, I go, let's not switch off. That breaks concentration. You go first. And he says, okay. And he played. And I'm sorry, one thing about game players, whenever something goes wrong, it's always the fault of the joystick or the button or somebody breathing on me. Don't stare at me. That hasn't changed. You know, no, glare <laughs> got my eyes. So, so, so I, I said, I did. I said, everything's all right here. Everything checked the joy. Yeah, everything's fine, fine. Everything's fine. And so he played and he played Donkey Kong and he got 190,000. And just to be fair, at that time, anybody who got 190,000 in a game on Donkey Kong at any arcade in the world would be the center of attention. Every single eye in the arcade would be on you. The game had been out less than, uh, not more than a year. And without a doubt, you would be absolutely the focus in the arcade. And he got 190,000. And there were some people that really looked closely and paid attention to him. And uh, so now he was done. And I, I, could t- I, I can vividly remember the thoughts going through my mind. But I'll skip them for a minute. And I sat down. And I put a quarter in. He got 190,000 points in his game. And he stood there and he watched me. And he never stepped from my side. On my first man alone, I got 849,000 points. God. Every single game in the arcade was silent. Every single person was silent. And when I realized and I looked over my shoulder, every single one of those players were standing behind trying to get their face into the screen. And the, and the two different cameras in the room were focused on the screen. And it was that point, I mean, it just, I'm a person who believes in good fortune. And believe me, I have been dealt the good fortune in my life. But I was there amongst those guys with those cameras and that opportunity. And with that opportunity, the situation that fell my way, and it did, that is what without a doubt forever put me in the competitive nature, the competitive fever of the gaming world, without a doubt. That, that is the, the moment in the game. And again, in front of the cameras of Life Magazine, in front of you know, the birth of esports and what is considered to be the group of the best players in the world, um, that, is, that is absolutely it for sure. May, may I say something for a second? Yeah, go for it. Um, how old were you? I was, I was uh, 17. 17 years old? Well. Take this into big consideration before I go over and use the bathroom real quick. Um, at 17, 800 plus thousand, first man. And no one can ever dispute that because MAME didn't exist. Right, 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 right. That's uh, it's a really super impressive. Uh, what was your score when you finished that game? Oh, well, I finished with um, 874 because we hit the kill screen. Um, and that was, was the first, first time, time anybody had ever gotten to the kill screen. And of course, nobody in the room knew what that was like. And everybody's staring and looking at each other funny. And um, 
So it was that kill screen that, and again, there were people, there was one person who claimed he had gotten higher than that. And the question was, well, how'd you get higher than that with the kill screen? Um, well, I got there on my first man, so it didn't have a kill screen. And I said, oh, okay. I mean, I knew otherwise, but I'm a kind natured guy. So I played and played and played and played and eventually got there. And I got there on my first guy in the kill screen. And then he said, uh, well, I, I think you just had a different kind of machine than I had. And I said, oh, okay. And the pressure built up for about, um, I wouldn't say six months. I would say a little less than six months. And then he wrote a letter to me, to everybody who was there um, at Life Magazine along with Walter. And he just wrote a letter of apology. And he said he was sorry that he never did get those scores that he said he got. And he said he felt like he cheated me out of my place in history, which he didn't. Because when I did it there, and I did it in front of the cameras, and I did it live, and I did it in front of the people, and I did it with that passion and fever that we talk about the arcades gave everyone. Right. You know, that's truly what was worth something. When you read about a score that's on a piece of paper that's in a, in a magazine, that just doesn't have the same passion. So right. he and I are actually friends today, and I, I don't hold any ill will towards him. He was a he was a teenage punk and. You know, he did what he wanted to do. That fueled you to that score that night because you had oh, to beat somebody that was the there. Yeah. Matters. Yeah. If I, if I knew I was as good as he was and if I knew he was that much of a stalker, I might not have pushed so hard. So. Yeah. Right. It's true. And you had all those nerves. Everything was running through you. Now, one of the interesting that, things that I've read on the Internet, you know, over the years, Sunday, November 7th, 1982, the 16 of you guys, 16 is what I'm <laughs> saying, but you guys took this photo at 8 o'clock in the morning and there were 18 of you there. I can see where this is going, but go ahead. (laughs) Okay. What happened to those two guys? What did you guys... Now I kind of know what you guys did Saturday night. You were playing this game, but what else happened? Why didn't they make it to the photo shoot? Well, what happened was there was a guy from Montana. Now, the guy from Montana, if you look at the full photo, he's not in the full photo, but he's in one of the individual photos down below. And... The guy from um, Alberta, he's not in an individual photo and he's not in a big photo. He was a complete zero. But I know what happened to him because we were there and we're in our hotel room and, you know, we were just doing nothing or doing what teenagers do. And they come busting and banging into the room, stumbling and, you know, laughing and giggling and drinking and having all kinds of fun, silly time. And, uh, I remember one guy, well, I like your show, so I I can remember some of the humor that they said because I have an extreme memory. And, um, you know, (laughs) uh, coming a second time and we're trying to sleep and he goes, I can smell public hair all over the place. Whatever that means. (laughs) Well, (laughs) what do you mean? Each time he walks in the room, um, he's he's had a little more and more fun. And so now it's the morning time. And Walter's pacing back and forth. He thought his daughter was in the delivery room giving birth or something. He's pacing back and forth. He goes, I can't believe it. I can't believe it. And I go, what? He goes, he goes, you're kidding me. And I, huh? He goes, this is some kind of sick joke. He goes, these guys drove all the way here, all the way here. He goes, two days to drive. He goes, they're not going to make the photo. 
Oh, and I go, I, I don't, I don't even know the guy's names. I go, I don't know. I guess not. I go, he goes, well, where are they? And I go, I don't know. He goes, well, did you see him last night? And I go, yeah, they, they stopped by a couple of times. I don't know what they're doing. <laughs> and so they went all the way there. And I talk about this historical moment. I talk about the birth of esports, Life Magazine, the first gathering of competitive game players. You know, I talk about the time I had and, you know, the first kill screen. And I mean, these guys had their, they were there at the doorstep of history and they didn't step in the door. I mean, I mean, I've, I've crossed paths with each one of them once since then. I mean, I, I almost don't know what to say when I, because the subject always comes up. Oh, you know, you say, hey, how you doing? Oh, yeah. They say, they say, hey, hey, how you doing? I go, better than you. Yeah. Are you still hungover? <laughs> I mean, you know, because you got you to gotta have thick skin to hang around because we, you know, we have a, a rough sense of humor. Yeah. And so, are there any plans to recreate the photo again in the future? Well, funny you say that because each year that we have an event here in Otomo, we have recreated the photo. Right. And this year I haven't heard anything about it. But each year that we create it, there's some people that are always here, always, like me like Walter, uh, normally Joel West. Um, there's other players that will come, you know, every few years or they'll skip a year or some that have been here just one time. And um, the last serious gathering we had where most of the players were there was in 2005. And some guys are lost and they want to be lost. One guy changed his name. Wow. Became a professor at Wake Forest. He's not there anymore. Um, he was a guy who basically, I don't know, he had skeletons in his closet. He, he doesn't want to have that history. There was another guy who went to prison uh, for 18 years. And he doesn't want to be found because he doesn't want anyone telling his story. But there was one guy in particular that was just plain old normal guy uh believe me when he talked he was full of sugar um i mean you couldn't anything he said you wow you know you didn't really know what to Does that think. Mean he was sweet and he could never ever ever be found ever we had professional guys from companies from movies from private investigators who were trying to track down different guys and this one guy could not be found we were saying gee the guy went to hawaii and he must have drowned I mean, he just, he's nowhere at all, ever. This is one of the and original 18 was, you're talking about. Yeah, he was a guy wow. in the far back, in the center, with blonde curly hair. And then one day, a year ago, Walter was in Boston. He was at a newspaper. And this particular newspaper had interviewed Walter many, many times. You walk in there, and you put your name in their, in their computer, and it pulls up every article that you've ever been mentioned in. And so he looks through the articles and he finds the article with this one guy named Doug and it mentions him. And in the article that mentioned Walter, that mentioned Doug, mentioned that Doug gave birth to, or his wife, or he had a, a daughter, let me say it that way. And she, and it had, she had an extremely unique name, one you've, I've never heard before, truly unique. And Walter said, wow. He put that name in Facebook and one person came up 
and the name matched the name that would be his daughter's. He called the daughter. The daughter said, oh, yeah, my dad. Oh, yeah, my dad. Oh, over here. Yeah, he lives not too far from me. Oh, here's his number. Wow. And Walter tried and didn't get him. And I tried. And, yeah, almost a year ago, he picked up the phone. And so the, the one guy, the last guy that we never could find, we finally did find. Amazing. Um, wow. In addition to that, the one guy that was in the photo, the first the first of all of us, eventually, uh, he passed away. Um, oh, so awesome. uh, I guess nature's still going to take its course eventually on all of us. Yeah, of yeah. course. Now, the guy that you guys found, he didn't want, he was not interested, I guess, in uh, being part of a photo game. Oh, no, he was. Uh, he said when we go to California, he would um, come out to an event. He was very friendly. He called back. I had wanted him to be here last November. We were here, and he called at the last minute, said he'd like to, but he couldn't. Uh, he said he'd stay in touch, and I guess we're going to be out in his area in um, March, and hopefully he's going to come see us then. To be honest, um, no bands are going to play, and nobody's going to line up for the guy or nothing. It's just neat to say hi to a guy who was with us when we turned a page in history. Of course, that's really yeah, neat, that's really and I, cool. I say that about any one of them, and even the guy who went to jail. I mean, I'd say hi to him. I hope the best for him. I'll, I hope his situation is turned better, and you know, I hope his family's better. And it's just kind of neat to say hi to the people who were there when you when you turned a corner in history. Don't look like a fool this fall. Step up your shirt game with Smirks. Home of the freshest, most dope shirts you'll find. Browse an entire selection featuring 80s and 90s pop culture designs. Ron Jeremy, Mr. Belding, and more. And for the latest and greatest, keep a tab on our new arrivals section. Whatever you're looking for, you'll find it at smirks.net. That's S-M-Y-R-X.net. Use code POOP for 20% off your purchase. Smirks.net. Let's fast forward a little bit just because of... Uh time constraints and stuff, but let's talk about Pac-Man and what led to that perfect score in 1999 that you were talking about earlier. Well, in 1983, do we know him? I think he's waiting, watching for us. I think uh, the word is out that we're here in this lobby of the hotel and streaming and we have friendlies that came to <laughs> sit and watch. Group okay. nice. <laughs> but what happened then, it was 1983, the end of 1983 and me and a friend of mine, Chris had taken a Pac-Man machine and um, really, really went through an analyzation process on points because we wanted to determine what a perfect score was. We knew the game would come to an end. We knew the game would have, would run out of memory. We knew that would be on the board 256 and we had been to it. We had played to it, but it's really a strange anomaly. What happens and how would you calculate um, what a perfect score was. So we eventually did it. We mapped it out. Um, we gained a hundred percent understanding of it. And we shared that fact with Walter Day. We shared it with him. We told him about it. Um, he understood it well. And it was just a secret that we kept. And I would say between the three of us, but Walter didn't know what we said. He didn't know how it translated. We just knew the secret. And as we say, the close of the golden age of video games, we say that it came to a close in 1986. 
Right. There weren't any more contests to speak of. Um, things were moving towards the whole home games. There was no resurgence that eventually came after 20 years. And so things just went quiet. It, it's a period in time that we often refer to as the dark ages. And every once in a while, somebody would contact Walter and say something like, yeah, I got this many points on Pac-Man or I can do this or I can do that. And Walter would put him on the phone with me. And I'd say, okay. And I'd ask him a handful of questions that they had no answer to. It was just a crash and burn. I would wish him good luck and send him on the way. Sometimes they would tell the truth and then I would help them. And I'd, I'd help them because I knew what point to start at to help them. And then I, you know, I'd help them, you know, achieve higher scores and things like that. Well, one day in 1999, a call comes in and once again, a call comes into Walter and then Walter calls us. It's a couple of guys in Canada. The guys in Canada say, oh yeah, we can do a perfect score. Yeah, we know what, we know all about it. And so Walter calls me and says, I have these guys who say A, B, and C, and would you talk to them? And I said, yeah, sure. And I actually got my friend Chris on the phone and I, again, I got a vivid memory. Yeah, Chris, Walter's got a couple of guys on the phone here. So if you got a minute, uh, we'll call them and we'll just blow them out of the water. That was my word, blow them out of the water. He says, yeah, okay. So there's five of us on the phone, me, Walter, and two guys in Canada, and my friend Chris. And I said, so, um, so you guys have played a lot, huh? Yeah, they've been playing steadily since 1989. I go, oh, late bloomers. Yeah, I go, okay. And I go, um, I says, okay. I go, well. I go, let me ask you a few questions. And I asked them a half a dozen questions that nobody in the world knows the answers to. Nobody. It's not in any book or anywhere. And there are no websites to speak of yet. And I fired a half a dozen questions at them. And they fired the answers back at me exactly as I would have answered them. Oh, fire's on. Yeah. For a moment of silence, I said to Walter, I said, yeah, okay, these guys are for real. Yeah, this is real. And so me and my friend Chris, um, as I said to him, I go, we sat on our hands all this time. We got a secret. We got a secret. And we never went in any manner, in any public place and executed it. And now Johnny-come-latelys are going to come along and beat Steal. us to the punch. Yep. And he's funny. He says, Johnny come lately's. I says, yeah. He says, you mean Canadians come lately? That's what he said. <laughs> <laughs> so, so at that point, there was this race for the perfect Pac-Man. And I mean, I hadn't played to any degree to speak of um, in more than 12 years. Billy, let me ask you a question real quick on that. Why did you wait 16 years to even try it? Well, well just flat out because number one is laziness. But most <laughs> all of all, right. a couple of times, Walter brought it up a couple of times. And I said to him, I go, Walter, I'm not just going to get up there and play a perfect game for the heck of it. I says, I specifically remember saying to him, I go, why don't you go set something up like in the Hard Rock Cafe in London or something? I'll do it there. I did. I said that. And, but really, that was an excuse. And I should not have made that excuse. <laughs> and um, so, and again, because competitive gaming had come to a close and that same fever or passion that is what ignited us and made us want to go to these events that we would travel around the country for. 
they weren't happening. So it was just a different mindset. In 1986, I looked at myself and I said, geez, I'm not going to sit here and play video games forever. I got to, you know, I got to be, have a real life and a real responsibility. And I took that passions and obsessions that I had developed in video games and I steered them in a career oriented way. And so I began to get other priorities. That's all. Right. Okay. And it's not, it's not until you think you're going to lose something that it makes you. Yeah. It's important. It, I guess. Now. Right. Absolutely, yeah. yeah. So then it was the race for the perfect score. Well, in all reality, um, I tell people that in, in the world of Pac-Man, there's about a half a dozen players that are here. Okay. But there's two of us that are here. And so we began this race for the perfect Pac-Man. And right away, there was an event um, in New Hampshire. I went there and my Canadian friend, who wasn't a friend then, but is now, um, was there. And I'm playing and I hadn't hardly played for 12 years. And I couldn't believe I'm beyond a million points. And I said, this is unreal. I'm going to do this. I haven't even had a chance to practice. And I was at, I, uh, maybe it was 1.7 million and suddenly I died and I was so angry and so upset because I died a way that I, I, I never did before. <laughs> and so he, um, I just got up from the game and walked away. I was so mad. Everybody was watching. Well then he, my nemesis stepped up to the machine and started playing and he's playing and he's playing and he's playing and I'm getting more, Nobody knows it, but I'm getting visibly more upset at myself as time goes on. His score is going up, and he's at 2 million points. And I walked away. I resigned myself to the fact that all these years of sitting on my hands and needing to come lately. Yeah. Right. So <laughs> I remember vividly again, his game's here, and all eyes are on his game. And I'm around playing a game on the opposite side of him. And I remember specifically I was playing the game Bagman and I'm just so annoyed. And suddenly I heard that most beautiful sound in the world. <laughs> the Pac-Man died. Suddenly I sat up in attention. I raced around there and I come over completely casual. Like <laughs> and I look and I go, and he turns around, he looks at me and he goes, I can't believe that. He goes, that's never happened to me before. I go, wow. Yeah, it's too bad. That's what happened to me. You know, <laughs> I just, I just try not to let out my satisfaction that he had suffered the same fate as me, but something different happened. He got up there and he played his game to the end. So he played his game to the end, but he died one time. And what that means in the world of perfect Pac-Man is he came 90 points short, nine dots short. Oh, God. Oh, man. He did it and he did it before I did it. Okay, and that was the end. And so we shook hands and we said goodbye. And the next time I went, I played. Now I'm playing, and this is no joke. I'm playing. I oh, I'm sorry. I practiced in the morning and I practiced practiced at night. I sent out a little press release saying that I was going back there and I was going to achieve a perfect score. And the thing is. Everyone's laughing. Um, media people are telling me, 
well, that's never been done before. I said, I know it's never done, been done before because I've told you I'm never going to do it. And you talk about cocky. The guy says, well, he goes, you know, you could lose. And I go, I could lose, but not, I go, but not this time. He goes, some people are betting against you. I says, bet anything you want. Don't bet your life. I mean, but I, I built up that level of arrogance because I felt that put the pressure on me to do it. What most people don't know is I announced I was going there. I announced I was doing it, of course. And I was doing it at the busiest arcade, the largest arcade in the world on the busiest weekend. But what I didn't tell people was I bought the plane ticket there. I never bought a return ticket because I didn't know how long it would take because I wasn't coming home until I did it. I mean, I would have been like ruined. <laughs> what, were you going to stay there for weeks? And Yeah, it, yeah, if I had to. But the funny thing is, Babe Ruth, you know, he pointed at the wall. The difference is he hit it over the wall. If he had struck out, he'd have been just a laughing stock. Right. He would have been a joke. He didn't get to stay at the plate for three weeks, though, and keep trying. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's why I say I, I kept that part a secret. But so I'm there and I'm playing. I got there on July 1st. And of course, that's Canada Day. And um, on I got there at night and July 2nd, I'm playing. I'm playing, I'm playing, and everything seems good. Right off the bat, everything's good. And I'm playing, and I'm at a million two hundred thousand. I'm beyond the so-called threshold, which is like about 350, to where now it's the same repetitive, extreme difficulty thing, and you just can't make a mistake over and over. And I'm playing, and I says to myself, I go, man, this would be awesome. This would be awesome. And suddenly, this little kid kicks a cord and unplugs the machine, oh. and it goes blank. Oh. And I jumped up in the air, screaming. And later, when I had to talk about it to the media, I said, the little kid ran away saying, I did it, I did it. The little kid wearing a Canadian shirt. Oh. But the truth is that. Well, but the truth is that's not the truth. <laughs> you had me going there, Billy. Come but, on, man. Yeah, but what was funny was the guy who owns the place, who's the nicest guy you'd ever meet, he learned that I was there, and he came to say hi to me. And, I mean, I jumped up in the air, and I'm, I mean, I growled like a bear. And when I did, about seconds later, he comes around the corner. He says, hey, Billy, how you doing? The guy is um in his early 70s and he puts his hand out and I put my hand out and I shook his hand and I go oh shit and, he, and he's like what <laughs> I mean that's a hell of a way to greet him and I told him what happened and he was startled and he wanted to help me and I go no 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 it was an accident damn it and um, I said goodbye to him or he said goodbye to me and should I gather my breath should I gather my wits and try no right here right now I put another token in the machine. You got to do it right now. And um, of course I failed. Right now. I mean, I wouldn't go to the bathroom. I wouldn't take a break. I wouldn't get a glass of water. And so it became a fight within myself for the entire day. And I never did it. I never finished. And now I went back. I go to leave. I go to get something to eat. Nothing's open. They roll the sidewalks up. There's nothing to eat. Nothing. I go back to the hotel. I just fall asleep. I'm so aggravated. I wake up. It's like six in the morning and I'm ready and I'm ready to go. 
and I go to the arcade and I go to the snack bar and the snack bar is not open. And I go, oh, well, the arcade opens at 10, but the snack bar opens at 11. Oh, okay, I'll get something later. So I go over to the Pac-Man machine and I start playing. And I start playing and playing. So the old story that I went two days without food in order to get the record, it's true, but it's not true for the reasons you would think. It's true just because it winded up that way with me and my anger. But what was funny was I go to the game and I start playing. And they had taken the game and they had put it in a more secure area and they had it roped off and nobody could get too close to the game or too close to me and nobody could get anywhere near the plug. And they had a, a floor walker, a good guy by the name of Tom. He's like an ex-Marine and he was assigned to the area. And um, uh, he was there and I mean, they rolled out the red carpet for me. I, I can't say enough kindness for what they did, but it was there that I started playing. And when I started playing, things started going my way right away. And I got past that threshold of about uh, 350,000, which is 20 boards. And I'm starting board 21, and it's the same repetitive thing after 21, every board. Same repetitive, difficult thing. Um, not, not easy at all. Spoilers. <laughs> yeah. But what's funny is I said to myself, I said, man, can I do 235 of these boards and get to the end? without making a mistake. And I'm playing and I got just almost to 2.9 million when I made my first bad turn. First bad turn and there's chaos on the board. Um, there's chaos everywhere and I'm somehow I survived the chaos and I finished the board. I go, oh, okay, next board, whoom, I come apart again and there's chaos. And somehow I survived it. Um, Again, in the third board, I come apart. There's chaos everywhere, and I'm, I'm careful, and I'm, and I'm careful, and I'm strategic, and somehow I survive it. And I said to myself, I said, wow, I'm losing it here. I'm, I'm losing it. I'm going to blow it. And that went on until over 2 million points, at which time I started coaching myself in advance. In other words, I said, um, I started the board, and I said, bottom right. I just said it out loud, just like that, talking to myself, bottom right. And I go to the bottom right. And when I reach the bottom right, I say left S channel. And I'm going to the left S channel. When I reach that, I say top S channel. So I was coaching myself, say, four or five seconds in advance of everything I was supposed to do, talking out loud as if I had a coach with me. Yeah. And so from, two, from about 2.1 million all the way to 3.3 million, I never made a bad turn. And, um, you know, again, the busiest arcade in the world on the busiest weekend that they have the 4th of July weekend. And, um, it was, uh, it was an incredible thing. Um, I remember putting it, I remember being on the split screen, putting it in the hiding spot and calling my friend, Chris, he says, hello. And I go, yeah, I'm at fun spot. I said, I'm in the hiding spot on the split screen with a perfect score. He says, no way. <laughs> And I says, okay, here. And I pointed to a kid who's beyond the ropes because there's crowd control. I pointed at him. I went like this. And he steps over the ropes and I hand him the phone. I says, talk to this guy. And my friend talks to this kid who I don't know who he is to this day. And he asks him questions that nobody knows the answer to. He goes, he said, what does the screen look like? He goes, well, it looks okay on one side, but the other side looks like like it's broken. 
<laughs> and um, my, so my friend goes, well, what's your score right now? My friend knows right to the penny what the score would be. And he goes, well, the score in the middle says 999990. The other one says 326,600. And the kid goes, okay. And the kid hands me back the phone. I go, hello? He goes, wow, you really are doing that, aren't you? <laughs> so, so, um, so I played and again, people in the crowd were coming forward. They hadn't seen the split screen and they were seeing it. And once I get there, it's relatively safe and I could show people stuff and talk. And there were reporters, a couple of them, uh, from Boston. And, um, it was extremely satisfying. And so I finally finished and I finally close out the final guy, the final points and doing it on my first guy which is what you have to do for a perfect score. Well, then I have my friends on the phone and I'm walking and I walk out of the arcade and it's like something out of a movie. I walk down the hill, across the street, I hadn't eaten in a couple of days, into a barbecue place and I sit down there. Lady comes up and I point at what I want on the menu and she brings it. And she really had the food in her hand walking towards me when my phone finally went dead. So my friends were gone. I, I could put the phone down. It was dead. And I finally got to eat. And that was, uh, you know, that was. Best meal you ever had. The day of the perfect Pac-Man. The thing that lives on is I'll call, I'll send somebody an email. Like the guy in Canada. I'd send him an email and saying hi about something or something that's going on. And you might say, okay, good to talk to you. You know, until tomorrow you might put like. You know, like dot, dot, dot or something. I don't. Remember, I beat him by nine dots. I put dot, 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 dot. Ah, ah. Even to this day, ah, I just dig it into him. Because it's the humor we have. You got to have to have thick skin to hang around us. Oh, absolutely. Like in that story you were just saying, you know, I really think you're onto something. I think everyone who's listening needs to understand that. When you're going for a number like that, when you're going for a record, there is nothing that beats it than having a crowd there to watch you and to verify it. Not only for authentication, author, author, I don't know how authentication. to say that word. Authentication. <laughs> I never could say that word. No but shit. not only for that, but like you said, it gives you that adrenaline and the hype that you're playing there for a live crowd. Right. You know, we, we have a little bit of humor amongst us because... Again, there began, there was two of us in the U.S. and two of us, or two in Canada. The other two guys kind of fell off the vine. I mean, they just did. They just didn't have the same passion or interest. But both of those guys didn't deal well under pressure. And they didn't. And they'll tell you that they didn't. And the two of us that did deal well under pressure did. Um, you know, I say there's a half a dozen players here and two of us that are here that's sure that's based on knowledge and it is and the ability to play but it's also the ability to adapt to the atmosphere um that friend of mine from canada you know he he did do perfect score he did it after me he did it um, you know reasonably easy you know as i thought he would and um you know i give him all the accolades in the world it's just Besides his level of skill, besides my level of skill, what some people possess and some don't. I mean, we're certainly not the only ones who do, but 
the ability to focus um, and not have everything in that area bother you, but even be able to draw from the energy of it. I guess it's similar to why do they talk about a home field advantage? Why do they say that somebody has an advantage if they're fighting in their home town? Right. Um, I oh, guess absolutely. because of the energy that they get from the people that are supporting them. Right. And yeah, there's absolutely nothing better than watching somebody like you just said. So if people want to watch Billy Mitchell now, where can people go to watch you? Well, um, much to my protest, for real, my son um, set up a, a Twitch channel. It's Billy underscore Mitchell. And I say that because I've said for years, as I indicated to you in 1986, um, that, you know, I had to find a direction for myself. And then in the year, after the year 2000, coming back from Japan, I, I thought my energy went best into pushing and promoting and creating something that would live on forever, meaning, um, you know, being an ambassador to competitive gaming. And so that's what I really enjoyed. But my son, no, dad, play. No, no, no. And he's home from, he was home at a time in the summer. And he bought a laptop, he bought everything needed, he set up the channel, he did everything. And to be honest, I mean, I started playing because he was pushy, but he said, come on, I want to play too. I said he recently started playing Donkey Kong. And, but we were playing together and it's father and son. And it's something that I, I mean, I really liked, just like I liked when we went, and, you know, we ran together and we played football together as he was growing. And it was a strategy and fun and a passion. and his score was going higher. So it's something that I was interacting with him that made me enjoy what I didn't want to do. I mean, I didn't want to do it. Had he not come home for the summer, there's no chance I would be doing this. None. But he did come home and he did set it up. He did push it. He does want it done. He does enjoy it. Um, it's something that we do together and it, we're very close already and it makes us even closer. So I guess I'll continue to do it. Well, lo and behold, he calls somebody that we know, and the Donkey Kong machine shows up. Um, lo and behold, he calls somebody we know, and Miss Pac-Man machine shows up. Um, lo and behold, he says he's got more stuff coming. I have no idea what he's got coming, but what we are doing is we're putting together strategies that um, will allow us to take things from sponsors, people we know, people who will give to us, and allow us to give those back to the people who are watching, uh, people who are following, people who are viewing. And um, what I mean is, um, let me try to give you an example. If somebody like you guys, you have your list of followers or viewers, and if they come to the page, and if they um, click on a link that's not set up yet, so relax, they go on there and they just pay the postage, whatever prize or whatever gift we have will be wrapped up and sent to them for free. Again, minus the postage. And so with all the different people that we know in the industry, along with our own resources, we'd be sending stuff out to the community that sort of creates a, um, a following or a group of people that have likable hobbies and um, likable interests. And, you know, we'll be able to, share with that it's kind of unique i actually for the first time i think it's actually going to work i had my doubts before but no i actually think it's going to work and 
I think he's a he's a sharp kid. What could I say? He's he's sharper than I could have imagined that I would ever be. Now, there's obviously not anywhere that we can't find you. So, where do your travels take you next? Well, wait. You know that people know what your Twitch was. Oh, oh, Triforce doesn't pay attention. He didn't hear me uh-huh. say that it's Billy underscore. Oh, Mitchell. you did say that. No, wait. Oh, okay, yeah, you did. Okay, just All double right. checking. All right. So, do you remember the name of the show here? Um, no, no. Okay. <laughs> <Don't> Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, it's funny you mention that because. Um, on the weekend of the 19th, 20th of this month, um, I had an, an inquiry or an opportunity to go to Texas, uh, Oregon, California, Chicago, embrace yourself, Paris. Mm. Mm. Well, Paris was actually, Paris was actually a food show. Ooh, la la. What it is, is where my son goes to school, parents week. And so I'm going to go to parents week. And when I go to Parents Week, that always brings me close to Richie Knuckles Arcade, uh, which is in uh, Denville, New Jersey. And two weekends from now, that should be his grand opening. And the fact that he's a friend of mine and he's having a grand opening, um, what we plan on doing is doing the Parents Week at my son's college and then driving down and spending the weekend at Richie Knuckles Arcade in Denville, New Jersey. So I know that sounds kind of boring. So after that, we play Florida in Orlando the weekend of oh, November 12th. Then there's a Comic-Con in the Tampa area, uh, December 15th. Um, these are things that are planned. The things that pop up in between happen all the time. I know somewhere in there I'll be going to Chicago for sure and in L.A. for sure, 100%. Um, that Those don't have firm dates yet. Um, and just to show you how things are expanding, the weekend of the 10th of November when I go to Orlando, Richie, my friend and partner in the Kong Off, he's going to be going to Australia because the Australian Kong Off is the weekend of the 10th. And if all goes well, next year in August, we'll be doing the Kong Off. It'll be the first European Kong Off, and I'll I'll be there for sure. Be but that Kong off should be in England. And again, that's should be the second weekend of August of next year. Now, before you leave a tumble, are you going to have one of the, uh, the world famous canteen sandwiches? Oh, come on. Give me a break. How do you know about that? Oh, I'm a, I'm a Midwestern boy. I grew up around a tumble. Okay. So what happened was we drove into town here and as we're driving into town, we got to get to the, you know, where the museum is. Yeah, and we got to get to where everything is because we got to get set up for you for eight o'clock. And so <laughs> we gotta get, first of all, he's reading the thing and it says nine o'clock. And then later on, he realized, oh, wait, that's Miami time. Oh, no, wait, we got to be set up at eight o'clock and we're driving. He goes, I got my laptop. I got everything. We're set up in five minutes. And I go, yeah, yeah. And we're driving in the car. and Joel West, who's with us, says the canteen closes at seven. And I put it in, and according to the GPS, we're going to be there 10 minutes to 7. So we pulled into the canteen, and we opened it up, and we went in, and we both had a couple of canteens already. Already. So, and the ladies there have kind of come to know us, and I, I promised the one lady that um, we'd go back because one of them that's, you know, very fond of us and what we do, 
she'll be there tomorrow. So yeah, we'll be there again tomorrow. We'll have a canteen. Actually, we'll tell them to put it on your tab. Okay. Yeah. Do that. Actually, the interesting thing about the canteen is it's actually the restaurant in Roseanne is modeled after the canteen alley lunch in Atoma, Iowa. Yeah. The thing is they call it the canteen in the alley because as progress came, as buildings got knocked down, as, as, um, progression came to the area, what little there is, they, um, the historical people fought hard that they were not allowed to knock the canteen down. So it really is in an alley underneath a garage. It's crazy, but it is. Uh, and I was shocked this time I went there because they now take credit cards, if you can imagine. This was the first time I remember going that they took credit cards. Upgrade. And it, it's kind of neat. They actually just got uh, digital film at the cinema there in Otomo, too. Yeah, to give people an idea of how backwards it is, you walk in, you sit down, you tell the lady what you want. She's making the food right there. She makes it in her hands and she hands it to you. Okay. Um, you eat, you eat, you eat. You go up to the register. There's some other lady at the register and she says, what'd you have? And you says, well, I had two canteens, uh, one with cheese, um, I had a milkshake and, uh, and a soda. She rings it up. She tells you how much and you pay. They don't write anything down. They assume you're telling the truth. It's that good Midwestern charm. Yeah, that's Midwestern charm. That's a good word for it. And uh, it's real here. It's it's really neat. It's it's really cool. You can still do at least a certain amount of business. You can do it on your word. It's, it's the way life used to be. I mean, you like you go back in the time machine to some degree. All right. Well, unfortunately, we've reached our kill screen here on Dueling Decades. I once again want to thank the legendary Billy Mitchell for coming on the show and talking with us. Thanks a lot, Billy. Remember, you reached the kill screen. We reach perfection. <laughs> That's right. Remember, you can always tune into more Dueling Decades on the Poop Culture podcast. You can check it out on www.poopculture.com. You can also subscribe to us on iTunes and on CastBox. If you got a comment that you just can't keep to yourself, you know, you can always give us a call, 914-505-7667. Leave us a message, and uh, maybe if it's good enough, we'll play it on the show, or maybe if it's bad enough. But until next time, you guys can have a peace, love, light, and a joy. Thanks a lot for Billy Mitchell once again for coming on the show. We'll see you next time. Infirmary Media. Warning. This product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Velo has arrived. It's the modern take on nicotine. Hassle-free nicotine pouches made for everywhere you're headed. So whether you're on a business trip or a buddy's trip, visiting your favorite spots or crossing another city off your bucket list, flying back to see the fam, or road tripping to parts unknown. Whatever your destination, Velo's ready. Visit Velo.com now to find your retailer. Website restricted to age 21 plus tobacco consumers. Underage sale prohibited. Visita Sprint esta semana y encuentra las mejores ofertas. Apresúrate y visita una tienda Sprint hasta el 26 de enero y recibes por cuenta nuestra el nuevo iPad con una pantalla retina más grande de 10.2 pulgadas y teclado inteligente. Además, te damos 100 dólares al cambiarte. iPad de séptima generación con 32 gigas por 0 dólares al mes luego de crédito mensual de 19 dólares con 17 centavos que se aplica dentro de dos facturas por 24 meses. Con verificación de crédito y nueva línea en plan elegible. Si cancela temprano el saldo restante será exigible. Impuestos se pagan al momento de la venta. Requiere teléfono activo en la cuenta. Con tarjeta Mastercard prepagada que se envía luego de traspaso. Inscripción en línea y 60 días de servicio en una nueva línea.